Hey, all you rad dads out there. Hello, I'm Johnny Cash. Actually, it's Christian with another episode of the Rad Dad Show. This episode features Terry Johnson, drummer of local Edmonton legends, The Smalls. We sit down and talk about how Terry is a newly discovered granddad, how his daughter has a tattoo, rest in peace dad on her arm, hanging out with his son. And of course, we delve into The Smalls, the reunion, the history, and the future. Enjoy. Um, welcome to the Rad Dad Show. Today we have uh, TJ, Terry Johnson from uh, legendary band The Smalls. Um, so welcome Terry, welcome to the Rad Dad Show. Hey Christian, thanks for having me. Yeah, this is Terry from The Smalls. Uh, I've been involved with the Rad Dads for a while. I try to get out as much as I can around my shift work, but yeah, it's really great to be able to do this interview. Thanks. And uh, you're a dad, Terry. Yes, I sure am. So expand and a granddad, to be honest. Expand, expand on that. Well, I had uh, I have one son who's turning 16 now, but I haven't seen him in about five years. Um, long story, but uh, decided not to go the court route and battles with my ex. So we'll see what happens when he's 16. And uh, as of, I guess it would be three years now. I kind of always lose track of time, but I found out I had a daughter out there, uh, 20, I think she was 22 when we met, 23. She found me, and uh, she's kind of a country girl, so she wasn't looking in the normal sources. I would have just Googled me, but she was, uh, what, uh, quickly, the story is, it's kind of well, it's strange, but well, I, think, I think it's I interesting. I was going to ask this question, so let's so, get into it. Um, what happened was, um, it was really kind of harsh was her mom and dad had gotten into a fight at some point when she was in about junior high, I think, or maybe just beginning of high school. And he, out of the blue said, well, I'm not her father anyways. And then mom had to admit, look, yes, I didn't want to tell you because I went back looking for him after I found out I was pregnant and they told me he had died. And I was just like, when I came off the road, I was living in the West End. I'd stay with my buddy's place at my buddy's place. If we didn't you know, rent a house. If we were staying for a length of time, we'd always rent a house, right? So we could jam. But in this case, I was staying a lot at my buddy Paul's place. He had just had an apartment. He used to be my first roommate when we were all in Grand McEwen before the Smalls moved into my house in the West End right beside GMCC. Anyways, so she came back to look for me at the Saxony where I hung out, where I met her, and nobody knew where I was. Somebody said I was dead. So my daughter's got a tattoo on her arm that says, Rest in Peace Dad, Rip Dad, with a, you know, a dove and some song lyrics. And anyway, so she got in touch with me one night through Facebook out of the blue. I'm at work and she's like, hey, we're, you know, me and my mom are looking for a guy named Terry Johnson. He would have been in Edmonton around 92 or 93. He's got long blonde hair and his birthday is June 9th, 1969. And I'm like, whoa, that's a little creepy. I'm like, how do you know my birthday? Like, and I'm always paranoid because you never know what the fans or who's messaged me. You know, I've made a few enemies, of course, over the years. But, I mean, I just, you know, I'm just, that always weirds me out. I'm like, how do you know my birthday? She's like, because it's the exact same as my mom's. And I'm like, oh, that's probably how we met. But the crazy thing is, is neither of me or her mom remember getting together. Whoops. Um, but anyways, so I was like, yeah, that's got to be me. Like, there's, you know, definitely that's me, right? I said, you know, because she had finally Googled me. And, of course, the smalls came up, right? You know, some whatever. 
And as soon as she seen me, you know, she looks just like me. And her, her last of her family's like got dark hair and dar darker skin. And she's just like me, like super pale and blonde hair, you know, and she never could figure out why. So it turned out great. You know, like um, when I met her, we were just, you know, like, well, I immediately, you know, I was a little wary of asking, but I decided to ask her if she wanted to make, make it all official and do the blood test. And then she had done it before with the other possibility, the other only other guy her mom was with, and it was a fail. And so she was kind of heartbroken. And I think for a little while she stopped looking. But then when she came back to it, she was like, yeah, hell yeah, let's do it. You know, and she was all about it, right? She's just like me, you know, swears like a trucker and does what I do. You know, just it, we get along perfect. Like she's a little mini me, right? Anyways, but it's strange, you know, because I never raised her. So she's my adult daughter. So, I mean, what do you do, right? I mean, I just try and, you know, she comes to me for advice, try and guide her in the right direction and whatever. But mostly it's almost like we're, you know, we're friends, but, you know, she knows that I'm dad, right? And, yeah, it's been nothing but great, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, it's, you know, it made it a lot easier because, you know, she kind of came in right a little while after I'd stopped getting to see my son, which was really, really hard on me. You know, I'd been through some serious depression and a lot of serious mental health issues that came along with that or were, you know, brought back up to the forefront because of that. But, you know, having her in my life, too, you know, it kind of balances out a bit. And, you know, I never lose hope about my son. So... We'll see what happens, but yeah, it was definitely it was definitely strange. Everybody was choking that I would find maybe I'd f find a you know a, a, you know an ex girlfriend or a possible daughter on the reunion tour, <laughs> but that didn't happen in 2014. I guess it would have been 2015 or something, 2016 when she contacted me. So, anyways, yeah, that's that's the story. It was interesting, and we still have a great relationship. So, it's and good. she's a mom, right? Yeah, she just had a little girl, Elizabeth Nora. And uh, she's uh, just turning, she just turned a year, oh, I can never remember the months, just a few months back. Yeah. How, do, how does it feel being a grandpa? Uh, that's really weird because, you know, again, it all, it's all happening so fast, right? You know, like, I mean, I was just getting to know my daughter. I feel like I still, you know, want to ask her a million questions, but all of a sudden now I'm granddad, right? But, you know, they lived so far up north because her boyfriend runs heavy equipment and they kind of... Um, like they work with their dad a lot, him and his brother. So they're living in the middle of nowhere, like 650 kilometers north of Edmonton right now. So I don't get to see him very much. But when I do, you know, like, I mean, I don't really, you know, I don't have any family anymore here in town. My mom passed away when I was in prison. And uh, so, you know, I don't celebrate holidays. I don't have, I don't have Christmas. I've never had a Christmas tree in my, since I moved to Edmonton. I, you know, I usually work it if I can, because again, you know, it's just kind of a downtime. You know, I'd rather be working it and sitting at home all day by myself, right? So, you know, usually she comes and visits when she can and stuff, but I've been seeing her less and less because they've been so far away now. It's been tough, right? But, you know, like I say, it's still nice. We still talk regular and everything, but, you know, it'd be nice to see her more and be nice to see the granddaughter more, but, you know, you never know what, what's going to happen. Like, they're always moving where the work is, so if it dries up up there or if they decide they're sick of living in complete isolation between Peace River and High Level, they'll probably <laughs> move back here, right. hopefully. And they were, she grew up in Stony, so she's always had some family out there. And well, most of her family's in Kamloops, but some family here and her boyfriend's family. But yeah, she's awesome. And it's, it's a really good relationship. It's just weird. Like I say, I've never dealt with raising a girl or being a dad to a female. So <laughs> I only l learned, you know, as I went with Joe and he's a boy, so it was easy. But now with a girl, it's totally different. And especially with an adult, with a woman a young woman you know it's again just trying what, what's so so expand on that what's so different about it well i mean with joe it was just like i i just you know i always thought of it like you know i it was going to bring it up later in there too but you know like i mean i always tried to think of it you know the mistakes my parents made and the things that they did and i never wanted to do that you know and uh you know i mean it was just so easy for me to i mean i was scared at the first you know like because i had no help like zoe would let me take him when he was a baby you know a few times here and there i mean i didn't get to see him a lot over his 
childhood. I mean, it was off and on all the time. She'd take him away, and then all of a sudden I'd get to see him for a little while, and then she'd take him away again, and back and forth, back and forth. But uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, I was scared to even hold a baby until I held my son, you know, because I just figured I'd break him, you know, or something. <laughs> but, you know, then he was just such a great kid. And, I mean, I don't know why, but we just had such a bond, and he was so easy to you know, not influence really, or just push in the right direction, you know what I mean? And, and in, in a lot of ways, you know, he did the same thing for me, you know, like I learned so much from him while I was teaching him, you know, and I tried to teach him, you know, not to be like me and not to end up like me because, you know, where I ended up in life isn't the best place where it's not where I really want to be, but this is the way it is, right? So, you know, I tried my best to steer him in the right direction, you know, I mean, I got money put away for college for him if he wants to go and sounds like he's going to, you know, and I get reports from the ex every once in a while, you know, I mean, you know, hear a little bit about him, but, you know, I just, like I say, hope, hope that, you know, he d ends up doing the right thing, but, uh, yeah, with my daughter, like I say, I don't know, it's just, it's, it's more like, like I say, it's hard to explain, it's like a friendship, but, you know, we have rules because I'm her dad, you know, we don't <laughs> cross certain lines, we don't talk about certain things, but, you know, she's kind of an extrovert like me sometimes, sometimes introverted, but, you know, like, I mean, we just get along great. It's just like, you know, from right from the start, we just hit it off. And, you know, we just have, it seems like, you know, we, we just have so much in common, like we finish each other's sentences. And, you know, she's like me in so many ways. I'm like her, I guess, you know what I mean? So we can relate. And, you know, and her mom's not around a lot because her mom's, you know, divorced and she moves around and she's living in Kamloops right now. But, you know, I guess I'm strangely kind of the stable parent because I'm the only one that's been living in one place as long as she's known me, right? But... Yeah, I mean, I see her when I can. I'll probably get to see her over Christmas and stuff. But, you know, I just, yeah, I take advantage of the time and try to, you know, make the best of it because I don't get to see her that regular. Hopefully that will change, though. Right on. Do you uh, consider yourself a rad dad, you know, considering your situation? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, like, I mean, the problems that I have with my son, I mean, again, and the reasons why, I don't, I don't really want to get into them, but it's just, you know, it's a long, dramatic story, you know, like most people have when they're fighting with their ex, or especially a battle over a child, you know, custody or whatever. You know, I mean, I think that, yeah, I did a great job as a dad. I mean, I had people tell me, you know, like, I never thought, you know, that you would be such a good father, you know, but you're great with Joe. Like, you know, he listens to you. He's such a good kid, you know, like he's never, you know, he's never you know, out of line. You never, you know, and I never had to yell at him. I never, you know, even thought of spanking him or, you know, really had to get mad at him, you know, and it was just, it was great. And, you know, I took him to his first punk rock show or metal show, you know, all ages for my old friend's old band, This Is War. And, uh, you know, and so I, you know, I got to take them out, do those kinds of things. You know, we went to the motorcycle show every year, you know, we get to watch the freestyle MX, you know, which he loved. But I mean, even for some reason, him, he, we'd wander around there for hours and he wouldn't get tired or bored, even just as a little kid, you know, cause he just loved like looking at the motorcycles. I think partly cause he knew that I did, but you know, <laughs> he just liked hanging out with me, but we always did all kinds of stuff. I mean, not to, you know, I'm not trying to badmouth his mom and stuff, but you know, she didn't take him out and do a lot of stuff with him, but I mean, that was my thing, you know, every chance we got, like, I know I'd, I'd always have two days off, or usually, so it would be, you know, if it was rainy or snowy, well, maybe we'd be, you know, in the house and play some video games that day and hang out, because, you know, he loved video games just like me, I grew up, you know, the video game age, you know, had an Atari 2600, so, <laughs> I mean, I still play video games, so... I mean, that was definitely something we would do. But, you know, also, you know, I taught him to skate. I, you know, took him to his first, you know, hockey game, Oilers game. You know, my friend was working for ticks, uh, or this, uh, I can't remember what it was called now. It, uh, people donate their tickets so underprivileged kids can go to hockey games. So yeah. they could donate their season tickets. So I took him to a couple Oilers games. We had deadly seats, like, you know, $300 seats and, you know, like right by the glass in the corner. And, you know, but we did lots of great things like that. And I think that's what makes, you know, someone kind of rad. You know what I mean? Like, 
is, is, you know, as a dad or even just as a person is, you know, you're out there. And I mean, yeah, I could follow the same thing my parents did and be an authoritarian figure and, you know, whatever. But no, it's never like that. You know what I mean? I always rebelled against that, you know, like, I mean, I was not, that didn't help me at all. In fact, it probably made me worse, you know what I mean? Or made me want to rebel more. So I never wanted to be like that. So, you know, and even when we had trouble, I, you know, remember I'd always, I always, somebody told me, you know, get down on their level. I'd always get down on my knee. And so I was right able to look them in the eye and, you know, you know, talk about it, you know, and sort it out and, you know, and, you know, I, you know, like even if he was crying or if he was upset or if he was whatever, you know, but it just didn't happen very often. And we always had a great relationship and we always did so much fun stuff. I mean, I've got pictures of everything, you know, us at the hockey games, us, him riding, you know, I took him to the motorcycle show and you can, you know, ride little dirt bikes, right? And so he went, you know, two years in a row. First he rode the little 50s and then he rode the 80s the next year and he just thought it was the greatest thing, you know, and then he got to ride on the back of my Harley and, you know, so he loved bikes when he was little, but. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, all I know is he was going through some tough times for a while there, but he's turning around. He's doing really good in school now, so I hope he goes to college, and I've got some money put away, so it's there for him if he wants to hopefully get a good degree, and then he can support me when I can't support myself when I'm retired. But uh, <laughs> There we go, yeah. yeah. Okay, so you taught, you, you kind of mentioned a few things, you know, just kind of like doing things with your kids. W- what are some other traits you think make one a rad dad? Well, I don't know. I mean... I guess I never really thought about it till I looked at the question, but I mean, you know, I think like I say, it's just kind of taking a different approach, you know, I mean, it seems like so many people I know, once they get married, and it's really, really a strange thing, because like a lot of people do a complete 180, and they'll be like, oh, I'm against, you know, say marijuana, or I'm against this now, and I'm against that, and it's like, it seems like it's coming from the way they were raised, you know, because I mean, a lot of them I know, and I know their histories a bit, you know, and it's like all of a sudden they forget who they are and all of a sudden they just completely change and I'm going to be a parent now. So all the stuff I was doing before, no, you know, it's out the window. I can't be doing that around my kids. And I think that, you know, that's, you know, I don't know, it's kind of a backwards way to do it. I mean, you know, I grew up, I learned, you know, and I learned by mistake. You know, I made a lot of mistakes in my life. But, you know, at the same time, that way, I when I teach my son things, I know what's right and wrong. So... I mean, to me, it was just an extension of my personality and becoming a dad and trying to do the best job as I could, you know, but also being cool about it. You know what I mean? Like if he wanted to do something, let's do it. You know what I mean? Or if he was scared about something, like when he was a little scared going to his first rock show, I mean, I said, don't worry, dad knows half the people in this place. Just watch and just stick with me and you'll be fine. And, you know, at the end of the night, he just was the greatest thing to him, you know, like how do all those people know you, dad, you know, and like. You know, it was, that was so cool. You know, we got to stand beside the stage, you know, you just, they just loved it. Right. So, I mean, getting to do things like that. And I mean, it's not just music. I mean, anything you approach, you know, and you just kind of like, I mean, again, I never, you know, I, I, you know, I guess I was always his parent, but it was always like, we were kind of best friends too. You know, he always used to tell me, dad, you're my best friend, you know, and I felt the same way, you know, and you know, me and my daughter are kind of similar too, I guess. Right. But yeah, I don't know. I think that, like I say, it's just a different approach and a different way that you do things. I mean, everyone wants to do the right thing for their kids and wants to raise them properly so they grow up as good, upstanding citizens. But that doesn't mean that you have to do it like the parents did it or you have to do it in a certain manner, in a certain narrow frame of mind. I mean, again, you can do a lot of different things and, and, and still teach the, teach kids you know, the difference between right and wrong. And, you know, again, I, you know, I mean, I think everybody's parents made some mistakes, you know, I mean, especially mine, they're from a totally different generation. It was <laughs> like, you know, they were, it was like, I was raised by my grand aunt and grand uncle. So it was like basically but being raised by my grandparents. So, I mean, the generation gap was a killer for us. I mean, that's what caused 90% of the problems between us, like to, you know, because they just didn't understand me. You know what I mean? They didn't have to go through any of that stuff with their other kids that they'd had because I have older brothers and sisters that are, you know, 20 plus years older than me that are more like aunts and uncles and I don't even keep in touch with them anymore because we were never really close. None of them ever lived at home, right? 
But uh, yeah, I just, you know, like I say, I mean, I always look back and I always think, well, I used to think, well, I had a pretty good upbringing. But then I look back and I'm like, well, there was pretty weird stuff going on <laughs> sometimes. And, you know, my mom made some mistakes and, you know, she was kind of the boss. She ran the show. You know, my dad was a hardworking guy, you know, farmer. But she'd, uh, you know, she, she was kind of definitely running the show with me. And, you know, yeah, she made some big mistakes. And now looking back, I'm like, yeah, I'm glad I never did that with my son. You know what I mean? I'm not glad I never, you know, decided just to go with whatever sh she did. You know what I mean? Because it seems like that's kind of what my ex does. Like, I mean, you know, she's had, she's got one daughter who's over in her 20s now. And then the two little, well, they're not little anymore. Joe's 16 and Lola, his youngest sister, would be 13, I think now. And so, but, you know, when they were little, you know, they were basically the, you know, Maria was already almost growing up, you know, out of the house kind of thing. And, and uh, yeah, when I was around, even Lola, you know, even though she wasn't my daughter, you know, I mean, I treated her the same and, you know, she was just great, you know, and I mean, you know, like I say, I did the same thing with her. I mean, I, I just tried to, you know, be cool around them and, and just be, again, a good person and, and be a good example, but yet not in the typical way. I don't know I, if I'm rambling or not. But no, I, mean, I know. I like that too. That, that kind of one of the things that, um, I guess why I do it, do the rad dads thing. I think that's kind of been something in the back of my mind, um, is to to try to provide opportunities that are different yeah. for you know because anyone can go and take their kids to the hockey rink and I, I do that too and I'm, I'm my son's coach for his hockey team. I love sport and all that stuff, but it's like yep. more kind of I guess like the alternate you know quote unquote alternative kind of culture like you kind of mentioned. I love that that you mentioned you know him taking you you taking him to to the, the first metal show and getting to you know sit on or by the stage like i'll never forget from me my one of my first punk shows was when i was 12 years old i was in grade eight and it was actually seeing you guys the smalls open for ninth configuration and disciples of power yeah I and that, that that experience alone literally changed my life yeah and so that I, I, is something that I want to try to provide by doing the events and things that we do, like just like an event that's kind of, and it's, it puts a lot of pressure, I guess, if I talk about that. And not to say I'm trying to make it, you know, life-changing experiences all the time, <laughs> but I love the fact that, yeah, that, you know, the dads that we interview kind of have uh, a different perspective on life and a different um, uh, experiences and they kind of, you know, have their kids experience those things too. Cause I think it's so important. It's, it's kind of producing a, an individual that's well-rounded in the fact and, and, you know, that's at least that's in, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think that that's, you know, why I really like the whole idea of the rad dads from the beginning, because again, you know, it does offer all kinds of ideas that maybe I wouldn't have thought of, or, you know, are better in a group setting and, and stuff like that. And the kids can have so much more fun. You know, I wish, you know, like I say, I would have been, I had seen Joe, you know, during this period and he would have got to come to some of these events with me, you know, cause I know he would have loved it. You know what I mean? And it's, it's great, you know, and, and, you know, like another thing I wanted to mention too, I kind of forgot is that, you know, like, I mean, again, you know, like he wasn't, you know, it was, there was, a, I don't know. I mean, it wasn't a typical upbringing, you know, in a lot of ways for him, you know, but it was, you know, I think from my side of it, at least I, you know, I can't speak for my ex or I don't know what goes on in that household three quarters of the time. So I just, again, I can only speak for myself, but I mean, you know, for, for example, like tattoos, like, you know, all, everybody he knew was heavily tattooed. Like Zoe, my ex is her boyfriend at the time. He's a tattoo artist, her new husband, he's heavily tattooed, you know? And so, you know, little things like that, you know, like it wasn't a 
scary thing for him to be around people with tattoos. I mean, it was normal, you know. So, I mean, again, you know, if you if you raise your kid in those kind of different parameters a little bit, and and you know, you let them see those things that I think my parents would have tried to shield me from because they didn't get it, you know. Whereas we do, you know. Like I, I can still, even though I'm 50 years old, I can remember what it was like being a kid. I can remember what it was like being you know, a teenager, a preteen and, and stuff. And so, you know, I understand when my stuff, my son's going through tough times like he did when he was 13, 14 there, you know, cause you know, I really rebelled then too, because you know, it's a tough time of life. You know, you, you're almost old enough to get, be cool and go out and do stuff and hang out with your friends, but your mom won't let you go take the bus or something, you know? And so you got to wait those year or two before all of a sudden you're 15, 16, and then you can do whatever you want and then you're happy. And then, you know, it seems like what happened with him now he's turned his life around. He's doing good in school, wants to go to college. So good. You know, um, what's the most uh, rewarding aspect to being a dad? Um, I don't know. There's so many different things. Like, I think, like, I'm not even sure. I can't remember what I wrote down for this. Let me see. Um, well, I don't know. I wrote down first of all is just like you know I've made some notes for this. I wrote down first of all is unconditional love is one of the greatest things that I found is that you know the relationship that I had with Joe from the time he was old enough to you know, understand our relationship and converse with me till I stopped seeing him. I mean, it was just the greatest thing, you know, like, you know, always having, you know, knowing that somebody out there, you know, has just that unconditional love for you. It just gives you uh, such a good feeling, right? And same thing when I met my daughter. Like, I mean, although we're still growing and learning from each other and getting to know each other even, I still feel like I have an unconditional love for that. It was almost like an automatic thing you know once i've got the blood test back and it was 100 percent. even before that i was already you know i knew it was going to come back 100 percent because just everything we talked about i was like yeah it's got to be me right and i could attest that you look uh, identical <laughs> like what you showed me the picture about a year ago i was like well like yeah. <laughs> there's no question <laughs> yeah right. and so yeah i mean like you know and, and i think that you know even though like i say i mean she's uh, you know in her early 20s and you know she's going, going through a lot of ups and downs and uh and whatever and you know so i mean i just try and be there and, and and help her and and i think you know like i say she she really respects that because you know her mom really hasn't been for a while like her mom's been trying to be her friend i think more than a parent since you know that that all the bad stuff happened with her so-called father in the past like i think ever since then her mom felt so bad about all that stuff that you know she just tried to you know compensate overcompensate by being just a more of a friend to her whereas you know again yeah look, we're friends and yeah you know like we can talk openly and you know swear whatever swear in front of each other you just act like we normally would do you know but you know again like i say she understands that i'm her dad and you know when we have our little ups and downs you know in the end she always understands that you know like again i you know she knows that i love her and she knows that i'll do anything for her you know anything in my power like i always tell her i'd kill for you i'd die for you you know what i mean like that's the same thing i used to tell joe like i'd jump in front of a bullet for you or you know if someone hurt you you know i'd, I'd do whatever i had to do because you know to me that's how strong the bond is you know whether you are actually going to act on that or not it's just i mean again it's the freedom of expression just a, you know just a, a way of looking at things, I guess. But yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, the biggest thing I think was the, the unconditional love is what makes me just love having kids and, and the relationship that you get from them. And, you know, I mean, there's a lot of ups and downs, but, you know, that carries you through the bad times when you know that that's there, you know, when you know that you have a good relationship with them. And, you know, even though, like I said, I'm not speaking to my son now and he's at the stage right now where, like I say, he says he doesn't want to, 
I mean, we'll see what happens as he gets a little bit older and, and whatever, and I'm not going to ever give up hope, but I mean, you know, like I say, I think that I did, you know, a good job with him, and I did the best I could with Brandy where I picked up, you know, where everybody else left off, you know, like Brandy's my daughter, and, and yeah, so I mean, you know, I mean, again, it's just just a way of looking at things, and, and I think that, you know, the, the biggest thing is the, the relationship that we have and the unconditional love. It's just, you know, it's so powerful, and you never get that anywhere else. You can't find that walking around the corner, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I get that. I love that, the fact that you have that uh, hope still. Um, what are some of the other ways uh, that, that fatherhood changed you? Did it change you as a person? Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, you know, like I say, I was a, a hardcore alcoholic for many, many years there in the band days and even before that. I mean, but it was like a, a night and day thing. Like once I had my son, you know, like, I mean, I didn't clean up right away, but I mean, I immediately started trying to take steps to fix my life, you know, whereas before I was just down a path of self-destruction. And that's where I was headed. There was no two ways about it. So, you know, as soon as he came into my life, it just, I, I didn't completely do a 180 because again, I'm not that kind of person. I mean, I, I I'm, am who I am and I can only change so much. I think that that's reasonable. But I mean, at the same time, I'm trying all the time to be a better person and be a better dad. And like I say, you know, like, I mean, I would try to teach him things, but I'd always say, you know, like every time you're with me, buddy, I always learn something from you. You always teach me something new every time we hang out. And he's like, what do you mean, dad? You know, and I'm like, well, you know, for example, whatever he said today about this or that, you know, like I remember he used to tell me when we went out that he'd say, dad, how come you're so mean to the people at the restaurant? Like we'd go to get fast food and I'm like, what do you mean mean? He's like, well, the way you talk to him, dad, it's not, you don't talk nice to them. And I'm like, really? I, I'm like, son, I didn't even notice that. I said, but I guess that's something I should work on. You're right. That's not fair to be talking to people like that they don't deserve to be treated that way and i don't want to be a bad guy like that either so yeah i'm going to work on that and you remind me if you see me doing it and you know I, i've turned that one little thing around and so i mean you know like you say as you're teaching you're also learning right i know that's the best thing too i've you know I, my son's seven turning eight and uh you've met him and uh, yeah, he's they they put you in check sometimes, hey. Oh yeah. It's just like they have this like insight, and, totally. and it's like, oh man, like there's been more than a few times that I've had some similar comments to that. And it's just like, okay, I have to check my behavior because obviously, like, it's not. Yeah, I feel I feel bad after, but you know, it's a part of life. Kind of move move yeah. on. And I mean, like that. I always used to tell Joe, as you know, you know, like when he'd make a mistake and he'd you know be hard on himself or something, or he'd get upset, and I'd say, you know, buddy, that's how we learn. You know, one of the ways we learn is from making mistakes. If you're a smart person and you want to help yourself, you don't just think of that as a negative thing. You take that as a learning experience and you take that as, hey, you know, what happened wrong there? What could I have done better there? And, you know, like, for example, when I was talking to him about dealing with people, I said, you know, you're right. You know, like, and, you know, if, if dad does it again, you, you point it out to me and he would, you know, I'd forget and he'd be like, dad, you know, and that's great. The kids have that no filter thing and they can just tell you the way it is. And, and you know, you know, a lot of times they're shockingly true. And, and it's like, yeah, you know, you're, you know, like I say, you pick it up and you can't deny it. So it, it just made me a better person, I think, you know, I, and I really tried to start working on myself and my issues, you know, going into counseling. I started counseling, you know, pretty much right after he was born and I've been going, you know, fairly steady off and on because it's through work. So we only get so many appointments at a time. But I mean, again, doing things like that just to better myself as a person and as a father, trying to get off the drinking, you know, I mean, it's always been a battle and, um, you know, I haven't been perfect, but, you know, I've been doing a lot better in, say, the last, you know, five or seven years than I did of the first, you know, seven or eight years of his life. 
you know, but, uh, I never, ever drank around him. I'm proud to say, and I never, ever, he never, ever had to see me drunk. You know, I mean, he did talk to me on the phone a couple of times when I was, when I was like that. And, you know, I felt even felt bad about that, but you know, it just, it, it did definitely, it changed my outlook on things, you know, like, I mean, I was, like I say, I was on a real, really bad path there for a while. And even though our circumstances, cause me and Max had just broken up and then she found out she was pregnant and our relationship was horrific. And, you know, so I, you know, I didn't want at first, you know, I wanted to explore other options is what I told her, you know, like, as I said, straight up, you know, I don't think we're prepared to have a child. And she was just, wouldn't listen to anything I said she was going to have them no matter what. So then I just basically had to go along with it. And, you know, once he was born, I mean, once again, I, you know, she'd, I'd go pick him up and I'd be having problems with him when he was a baby and I wouldn't know what to do. And I'd call her and she'd say, well, figure it out yourself. You're the dad. And I would have to. And I mean, a lot of it, you know, you don't even realize it's instinctive until you, you're there and doing it. Right. And, you know, I mean, he was just a good baby. He was a good toddler and, you know, I mean, made it easy on me. Right. So, you know, it, it was, it, I learned a lot from him though. And I, you know, I mean, I, I guess I still am, you know, I mean, there's, there's, even though I don't speak to him very much, I'm learning a lot from what's happening between us, right? Yeah. Whether it's good or bad, you always, you can learn as long as you keep your mind open. That's the other thing I try to teach him. You got to have an open mind and open ears. Otherwise you don't see your mistakes as, you know, something to learn from. You just see them as a bad thing. Oh, I don't want to do that again. Well, why don't you want to do that again? How can you do it differently? Right. You know, that type of thing. Did you, uh, you kind of talked about it a little bit about this. Did you have any fears about becoming a dad? Yeah, well, I mean, definitely, because me and Zoe's relationship was so unstable. And I mean, you know, I knew right away that it was going to be a trouble, you know, like once, if, you know, if, if we decided to have a, a baby and then once that baby was around, because I wasn't going back to her, there was no way. Like, I mean, I was no chance of that, you know, not like, you know, the, I remember it used to happen so much in my youth, you know, where parents would stay together just for the kids or get back together because you know, they found out they're pregnant. And I mean, that just seemed like the worst case scenario possible. I mean, if you're broken up already, things aren't going to get better. You're not going to just walk back in and you have it because you got a child, everything's going to be rosy. Yeah, I magic. mean, in fact, things usually get worse, right? And they did. I mean, it made me and Zoe's relationship that much worse and that much more volatile. And you know, I mean, it got, got to the point where it is now, where, like I say, I mean, you know, she basically cut him out of my life and then now it's turned into him saying, well, you know, I don't want to be in your life right now. So, I mean, you know, I just take it as it comes and, uh, I don't know. Is, is that hard? The, the fact that he's kind of there or like, how do you deal with that? Mm, I don't know. Just it's having a positive outlook. Like it seems yeah. like, you know, you're. I try. I mean, you, you know, you have your good days and your bad days. I mean, anxiety is my biggest affliction, but, you know, obviously depression is right up there now and has been ever since I stopped seeing, but it was always a big part of my life. I mean, you know, like people used to say to me, you know, well, here, you know, like doctors would be like trying to get me on antidepressants when I was drinking heavily. And I'm like, drinking's a depressant. Like, do you really think these antidepressants are going to help me if I'm drinking all the time? Like, I need to quit drinking first, right? And yeah, I mean, you know, so, I mean, it is tough. Like, I mean, I have my bad days and, and, you know, my anxiety gets pretty crippling sometimes uh, about it. You know, I overthink things. I worry about things, you know, and I wonder why, you know, I think about what he's doing and I miss him and, you know, whatever. It's, it's, it's not an easy thing. You know, it's like uh, losing a part of yourself, you know, and I mean, you know, I know friends that have had been in far worse situations than I am, you know, they've lost their children or children have passed away and things like that. I mean, you know, and, and I don't say that I'm, you know, in the worst position possible, but, you know, it does feel like, you know, he's gone from my life. You know, I mean, I haven't barely talked to him in five years. I haven't hardly seen him except for pictures. And, uh, 
you know, it's just something I have to take day by day. I mean, it's just like my sobriety. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I can't worry about tomorrow or what might happen because, you know, I mean, I don't want to trigger myself and set myself off into a bad state of mind that could lead me down a wrong path, whereas I might go pick up a drink, right? So, I mean, it's all kind of tied together, you know, as I'm changing my life for myself, and a lot of it's happened, you know, now even since I haven't been seeing Joe, um, I also learned a lot from when he was in my life, you know, and I still use those things all the time to try and become a better person, you know what I mean? And again, nobody's perfect, but I made a lot of mistakes, but I, I really don't have a lot of regrets, to be honest, either. I mean, yeah, I have some, of course, but I mean, again, I did what I did, and here I am. I'm still alive at 50. I can't believe it, you know what I mean? And now I got two great kids that are doing great for themselves, and, you know, I just wish them the best. I just want to be there for them if I can and, and be a good dad, right? But... You know, it, it's not easy, like I say, and I know that other parents have it tougher, and, but yeah, it definitely affects me. It's a daily thing, you know, I mean, I can't go a day without thinking about him, and, you know, it gets to the point where, you know, I had to take down his pictures in my house because I couldn't, just couldn't look at him every day, you know, I mean, I keep a couple up, but, you know, it's, it's, it's really mentally, it was mentally hard on me because I, I just loved it so much being a father, like I never knew what to expect until I was doing it, but, you know, once I did, I mean, and then to have it taken away from me so suddenly and then just he's gone you know it's just yeah it's been really really tough to deal with I'm still dealing with it today and it's five years later you know so it doesn't get easier D does it make you feel uncomfortable talking about it like I'm kind of getting kind of emotional you t telling this like is it is it almost having this conversation is it a so kind of therapeutic for you or is it yeah I mean I don't know you know like the other thing about me too is a lot a lot changed when I went to prison for 10 years ago I mean you know, like, I mean, it changed me mentally and emotionally, right? I mean, you know, I find it hard to cry anymore. And I find it, you know, like, I mean, you know, in certain situations, you know, I, I tend to I just close up with my emotions. Whereas, you know, I am a pretty emotional guy. I'm really extroverted usually. But, you know, that side of things made me, you know, quieter, made me, you know, you know, like, you know, for example, fully aware of everything's around me all the time. Like when you're in jail, you got to always watch, you know, eyes in the back of your head, you know, and trust issues, you know, like I've had a lot of bad relationships with girls, you know, and j jail didn't help that either. You know what I mean? Like you can't trust nobody in that place. Right. But I mean, you know, it is, it is still hard. I mean, you know, like, I mean, it's hard for me to talk about it and it, it, you know, it definitely brings up emotions inside and, uh, yeah, it's, you know, again, it's, it, you know, it's, it's brutal. Like I wouldn't wish it on any, anyone who's got a, you know, any sort of relationship with their children, you know what I mean? Whether it's good or bad or in between, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's just, you know, you don't realize how, what you have until it's gone, I guess, you know, I mean, all the little things, you know, I miss the most, you know, just chatting with them on the phone here and there and knowing that I was going to, going to see them on my days off. And, you know, and that's still when the depression sets in is my days off. Like I, I, you know, I'll go a whole week at work and I'll have a decent week, but then I plan for my days off and I get to it and I just, all of a sudden my energy zapped and I just don't feel like leaving the house. My anxiety starts going through the roof and it's because of my depression. It's because of what I'm going through, right? And so, you know, I mean, I have times where I literally, you know, today I didn't, but uh, I literally have to take my medication to get out of the house. Like I can't leave the house. And I think that's partly a prison thing too. Like. You know, they say you can become institutionalized even after six months of doing jail time. And I mean, I got lucky. I mean, I just did a tiny, tiny piece of time compared to most people, you know, out there. Most people I know even who have been to jail. I only ended up doing a year out of three. But I mean, that's enough time to really change your mindset. You know what I mean? And, and so, I mean, like I say, it, it all ties together, I guess. You know, the substance abuse, the f you know, where it landed me. And then now I'm how I'm trying to recover from that and 
the loss of my son since then you know i mean it's it's it all it kind of tied together and it's something that you, you know it's like i guess you know one of those slogans i learned in aa one day at a time you know i mean it's really true you know like that's the thing that's kept me sober or you know it's helped keep me sober is just only worrying about today and you know so i try to do the same thing with him you know like you know everybody keeps telling me you know like oh don't worry when he gets older you know he's going to change his mind he's going to see you know the difference he's going to remember what happened when he was little that his mom didn't you know do the same stuff you did and he's gonna he's gonna understand but you know he's as he gets older it's not changing and you know i watched his older sister go through it and she doesn't even speak to her father anymore as far as i know and you know and zoe won't admit it but i mean she did basically the same thing she i don't understand why but she basically alienates the fathers you know and uh, except for the youngest uh, joey's little sister's father she kept him around but uh you know and, and he's had kind of joint custody of my son whereas she wouldn't even allow me that and you know i would have had to go to court and fight for it and and you know again she always can afford you know like uh legal aid whereas i'd have to pay for a lawyer so that's why I'd, one reasons why i never went the court route and uh you know, and I, I also, too, I took, you know, parenting and separation. I took all the courses you could through Family Justice Services, and they tell you straight up, you know, the last thing you want to do, the very last, you know, uh, chance you want to take is going to court because nobody's going to be happy, right? So once I heard that, too, I didn't feel like I, you know, hadn't fought for my son. I mean, I fought tooth and nail for my son. I just didn't go to the court route, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, you know, I had a lot of ugly, brutal battles with the ex because of it, but... You know, again, I mean, to me, it didn't, it, at least it was, I could afford it. You know what I mean? I couldn't afford to keep going back to court every year and fighting for custody like some of my friends have to. You know, one one judge will award them custody, next judge will say, nope, going to the mom, and then they got to go back. And, you know, like I know people that just finally, one guy I was in jail with just gave up. You know, his ki kid was getting to be about two, and the mom was, you know, a drug addict, and he kept trying to get her back, and then the, white, the ex would clean up enough so she'd go back to court, she'd get custody. And finally, his lawyer said, you know, we keep doing this for, 18 years if you want to keep paying me five grand a year or you yeah. know they, they almost said like he does you know i've had some not i've i've done parent parenting after separation course because you know i've gone through a separation but you know it's it's been somewhat amicable for you know we've always kind of put our son first and but still like going through that process i definitely kind of have some experience in hearing different stories as well that there, there has to be some some different way to do it like you know, it's ridiculous. There should almost be like a, a court-appointed mediator that you know, has parents in a room, like sit down, like take the separation course, then let's let's sit down and, and do it. But they, yeah, it's yeah. Let's shift it a little bit. Let's go. Let's look at a positive thing. Let, what are, sure. what were the top three memories? Do you think you have with your son? Top three memories. Hmm. I didn't see that question. No, I no, so All right. So, Off the top of my head, I don't know. I mean, I remember the first couple of times I took him to a motorcycle show and just how in awe he was. And, you know, like, I mean, I've always grown up riding motorcycles. I didn't ride Harleys or anything until about 10 years ago, but I grew up on dirt bikes. And I always wished I could have gotten one for him and had a piece of land outside the city so he could have learned to ride. But... You know, that was really cool getting to see him ride for the first time. And he picked it up like nothing. You know, he didn't wipe out once. First year, you know, he was fine. This little girl ran him off the road once and he was mad about that. But, you know, that was pretty cool. Like being able to see him, you know, have the same interest as me and him, you know, always being so, so good about it. And, uh, Sorry, what was the question again? It's all three memories. So, three so, memories. The, one so like the first one, definitely take them to the bike show. And then, you know, just all the time hanging out, you know, like, I mean, whether no matter what we were doing, like, I mean, say we'd go to the park. You know, and then we'd go to always go to like, um, say, uh, um, Kinsman a lot of times, right? Because, you know, it was close by whether I was living on White or downtown. And it had a real big playground and 
you know, and like, you know, we did everything out there. You know, I'd bring the ball gloves and the bat and we'd go and, you know, play catch a little bit until he got bored of it. Bring the soccer ball, bring the football, bring everything I could, you know, and then we'd go to play on the monkey bars. He'd want to, you know, go play or whatever. And I'd be like, yeah, do you want to play with the other kids? And he'd be like, no. And I'm like, why? And he'd be like, I don't, I don't want to play with the other kids. Dad, why would I want to play with the other kids? I want to play with you. And I'm like, okay, let's play. So, you know, it would always be me and him. And I don't know why he had such an aversion to it. He was just like kind of a solitary kid. But it was really cool because, you know, we just hung out. And, you know, like he'd tell me all the time, Dad, you're my best friend. You know, and I'd always joke and say, yeah, wait till you're 15 and you just want the car keys and some money and you don't even talk to me other than that. And he's like, no way, Dad, you're always going to be my best friend, you know. But, I mean, little things like that, like I say, are, are definitely big, great memories, you know, taking them to the hockey games, doing all that stuff with them, you know. And, uh, you know, the other thing, I guess, would be, you know, you know, I never pushed them. And I always had a drum kit set up, like even in my house, I have a electronic drum kit so I can just put headphones on and play. So I live in an apartment so I can practice if I want. And that's where he, f you know, first learned his little first little drum beat, you know, taught him to play some eighth note rock like ac basically acdc drum beat that's in every song right <laughs> and then you know that turned into you know when we did the f reunion tour um when we were sound checking he, that was the one day he got to come down because of course he couldn't come to the shows right um so he, i let him come down and hang out at sound check and then you know we were almost done i said to the guys hey you want to jam with joe just for a little bit just you know because he'll love it and they're like oh for sure so I called him up and he got up on stage and I'm like, he, I said, come up behind the drum riser. You got to get behind the kit. And he's like, what do you mean, dad? I'm like, go on, just get up here and play your beat. Just play that, that beat that dad taught you, you know it. And, and he's, he's like, well, what do you mean? And, and, and then what? And I stood and just watched. The other guys will all come in and you'll jam a little bit. First time you're going to jam with the band. And he's like all scared to death, but he started playing and they came in and they started playing with him. And I just felt so bad because I didn't have my camera. Was, my, my phone was completely dead for the whole tour because of all the calls and texts and Facebook messages. And I didn't even get to video it or anything. But, you know, it was great to see him like, um, you know, not push him into playing music at all, but him wanting to do it. And then him having the chance to actually sit behind the drums and just have, you know, play two minutes with my band for, you know, whatever. And even though he didn't get to see the shows, he did come to Sonic and X-Fest so he did really get to see what it was all about like he couldn't believe that all those people were actually there to see me and us you know he, he was asking my girlfriend at the time he's like well all those people aren't here for dads and there she's like yeah they are like they really are and he's like no they're here for jack white and she's like just watch when the dad your dad's done playing all these people are going to leave and different people <laughs> are going to come and yeah sure enough and you know and he was that was another thing was him on stage hyping the crowd before our sonic fest i hear you know the crowd going crazy and then shutting up and then going crazy and then shutting up and obviously someone's hyping the crowd i've seen it a million times i go out there it's my son you know so i mean you, know, you can't you can't make you know make that stuff up and you can't just make that happen it was just the kind of kid he was you know like he was really shy and really introverted but at, then at the same time all of a sudden he'd do something like that and it would just blow you away right so i mean you know that i think that was yeah definitely some of my my three best memories if, if that they all kind of run together a little bit yeah, like, that, like I, let's so let's continue maybe with the, the smalls talk and sure. and shift do a little bit of shift so maybe can you talk about your experience doing reunion shows so it's been what almost five years now yeah yeah i can't believe it's been that long it's really flown by because you know ever since this the tours i've been trying to sell off the, all the merch we had left and all that but yeah the tour was awesome i mean it was you know like i it you know i mean everybody kept saying they felt like they were doing it for me and looking back on it now i'm pretty sure that's the only reason they did it you know like i don't really think that corby and doug really wanted much to do with it but they knew i wasn't going to drop it i kept pushing and pushing to the point where i nearly drove them nuts but 
you know, eventually they realized, you know, it's been, first it was 10 years, you know, then we passed a 10-year mark. And, you know, it took us a long time of planning and plotting to get this set up, like literally five, six years, you know. I mean, even while I was in jail, we were writing, I was writing letters to them and telling them, you know, let's do this, right? And so when Corby finally gave us the okay, that was basically what we were waiting for, is him making time in his schedule, you know. And, I mean, you know, then we started planning it out, and you know, so I took some leave without pay and, you know, fronted some money off the, off the band or off those guys until we got paid. And then, you know, we got lots of rehearsal in, so, you know, that was good. And, you know, because, I mean, you know, going to play those big fests after not playing for 14 years, man, that was, playing festivals is scary anyways because you can't, usually can't hear nothing. And, you know, you got to be able to see the other guys. And there's such a big stage, you know, we always set up tight, but it's hard, right? So it was like, you know, in the film, everybody's saying going zero to 60 and, you know, like in one show and it was, you know, I was just getting warmed up and we were done, you know, and that's how festival shows are, even when you do them all the time. But, you know, I mean, the tour itself, uh, it was awesome. I mean, it sucked doing those shows and then not being able to announce the tour because we couldn't because of the proximity clause in the, in the contract, right? And people were livid. And, I, you know, even <laughs> Corby's management finally called me like later the day when, in the day when we announced Sonic and X-Fest. And he's like, oh, the Facebook page is blowing up. Hey, people aren't very happy. And I'm like, you think, eh? I, I warned you guys about this. Like, fans don't, don't, won't believe us until we tell them. And, and they think now that the only chance they're going to get is if they pay $200 to come and see us. And they, they're not going to release one-day tickets till last week. So everyone will have their tickets already by then because they're going to be worried it's sold out. So these people, you know, are all thinking they're only going to have to pay $200 to go see just us. They don't even want to see the other bands. And he's like, yeah, we got to think of something. I'm like, yeah, you got to think of something like how we can inform these people without breaching the contract that we are doing more dates. So we tried a few different things, but people still didn't catch on until <laughs> we were at the show. And then Edmund luckily was second. Yeah. So that was the last night. So at that show, we could announce right from the stage, right? So we did. We were like, so the news you've all been waiting for, we're doing a full cross Canada tour, or Western Canadian tour. And so, yeah, then after that, it was just mayhem, you know, people calling, the phone started ringing and it didn't stop till, like I say, I knew it was going to happen. It didn't stop ringing until Monday morning after the last show. Nobody called me all day that day, not one text, not one Facebook message, nothing, right? Because that was it. But, you know, the reunion tour was <laughs> I great. I think people were just, uh, maybe just a bit in shock. I like, I remember this, like I went to all the shows at, um, you know, around here, I went to the Sonic show, of course, and then saw all the shows at Starlight. That sun, like that last show, like I think it was emotional for a lot of people. At least it was for me, and it was just like, I think there was a kind of a realization that it's like, oh, okay, like now what? Yeah, yeah, it was really weird for me. I mean, I was still riding the high till the next day, but you know, again, you know, like I say, it's you know, that's the problem. You know, I think with my life, and you know why. Uh, you know, the substance abuse issues are so hard for me is because it's such a roller coaster, Christian, you know, like, I mean, I just went from a month or even more of even just the rehearsals and all the, you know, feedback I'm getting from the fans and everything. And, you know, like the Facebook page doubled in size of fans, you know, from when we announced the tour, you know what I mean? And it's just mayhem. And then I knew it was going to go by too quick because, you know, we started having to book two nights every place. Right. And, you know, I knew it was going to fly by. And then plus our tour manager, you know, he was this guy that ne never managed us before. I don't know why we hired him. It was through Corby's management. But like, we kept calling it the no sleep tour because he wouldn't, he was scared to drive at night. And so we would get home from the club, even if we weren't partying. And I wasn't drinking on that tour, obviously. We wouldn't get back till three or four. You know, and you don't go to bed till four or five. And then you're up at 11 in a van. And of course, there's not quite enough room for everybody to have their own seat. You know, somebody has to share. 
So if you could, you slept on the way to the next town, right? And I mean, and then you get up and you're at sound check and, you know, and then by the time we started to get a little bit west, like, I mean, I don't know, we flew out to Toronto, we did that, and I don't know why we wasted our time, but it was actually good. We actually sold out in Toronto for the very first time, sold out the horseshoe. First time we ever sold out in Toronto. We wasted so many years playing that, you know, Eastern Canada gig, and it was just a waste of time. We should have went to this Midwest of the States where it was hot then, you know, like we just didn't, we just, it was a bad business decision. And I think that was part of the reason what ended us. But I mean, the tour was just incredible, you know, but it, it got to be too hard. Like, I mean, by the time we even got close to Edmonton, we couldn't even go out in the club anymore because you're just mobbed by fans and, and it was great. But I mean, you couldn't even go to get a drink or go and talk to a friend because, you know, it'd be like five guys standing around telling me about how my, their music, our music affected them. And, you know, they were drummers or they were playing their music in our, in their band. And uh, it was so cool, but it was the same time, you know, like, Towards the end, we basically <laughs> hung around backstage, go out play the set. Look at you, you know, complaining rock star then, here. Yeah. Complaining, boo-hoo, rock star. Yeah, boo-hoo, oh, right? Jesus. First world problems. But <laughs> yeah. No, it was just, it was, it was really that crazy. Like, you know, I just, it was, it was over, it was, it was, you know, we've never been those kind of people. We always, like, I always showed up at the shows, like, an hour before the set, you know? I mean, I'd go home from soundcheck, eat, chill out, do whatever I wanted if we were playing at Edmonton, and then go back and maybe an hour before the show, unless, you know, my friends were playing, go back and catch them, but... You know, I mean, it was just like that most shows. We just, like, but it was just rushed. You know, everything was rush, 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 rush. Like, like it always is in the music industry. Hurry up and wait. And, yeah, so, I mean, th th it was over before it started. And then, yeah, and then, you know, like I say, after, right after the tour, of course, you know, the roller coaster happened. And all of a sudden, like I say, the phone stopped ringing. And by that night, I had already gone to the liquor store and I was having some drinks. So, you know, like I say, it was up and down. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, it was a great tour, but... I knew I was going to be down about it afterwards and I didn't think it would hit me as hard as it did, but yeah, it did, you know, it was really weird. And now knowing, you know, especially after seeing the movie and, and really seeing, you know, what the other guys see or have to say and how they feel like, I mean, yeah, they don't have any interest at all anymore. Right. Like they're, they're done. You know, they, I haven't even given any money to them from these last two online sales because I'm doing all the work. So, you know, I gave them money from the other sales. I, they got lots of money that they never would have got if it wasn't for me. Right. So, I mean, our relationship's tenuous, like me and Doug don't get along and, you know, like whatever, me and Corby, it's just whatever. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we're done. Like it's never happening again, ever. Was there one reunion show that topped it all? I, I'd have to say the Edmonton ones just because, but the Co Commodore was always awesome too. And Calgary was always great to us, even though I didn't know a lot of the fans personally, whereas Vancouver and Edmonton, you know, kind of like both like my hometowns because we recorded all our albums in Vancouver. We spent so much time there. All my friends that were my age and musicians at the time living up here, they moved down there. And, you know, so, I mean, I just, it was, you know, those two towns are always the best. Like, and, and you know, that was our best market anyways, Edmonton, Calgary, Vancouver, but definitely selling out the Commodore two nights was unbelievable. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like big bands, some big bands don't even do that. They come through town, you know what I mean? And, and we were able to do it, you know? And, and like Edmonton, I mean, I know we could have done probably at least one or two more shows if Corby didn't have gigs booked. And if we could have, you know, fit it into the schedule a little bit better, you know, we probably could have done, you know, a couple more nights because we had the interest, right? But yeah, I, I guess I'd have to say those two. I mean, they were all awesome, though. I mean, the fans were so cool. And, you know, the first ones, we were actually going out to, you know, merch table and signing autographs for people or autographing T-shirts and stuff. And the stories we'd hear and the people we'd meet, it was so cool. You know, again, you're meeting kids that, you know, they got learned about the music from their older brother or, their, you know, whatever. Someone was dads bringing their kids because their kids were old enough. And, you know, they were both fans. And 
So it was just, yeah, it was just all around the coolest experience. But yeah, it's never going to happen again. So I just have my good memories and that's all. And that, talk about maybe a bit about the documentary. How was that experience? Because was that something that was put in kind of at the same time? Or was like, did you announce the kind of the tour? Well, or it, was, or like? it was kind of a surprise to me that it started when it did. Because they literally met us the first day we met. We met in uh, Chilliwack because Corby was playing there. And it was kind of the halfway ground because Doug was living in Vancouver then. Me and Corby were here and Mike was in Victoria. So we decided to meet and just start talking about things and then do a, you know, a promo, do some promo picks uh, and stuff while you know, we had some time that day. So we flew in the night before Corby's show, spent the afternoon talking about stuff, doing a bunch of different promo shots in this old, uh, it was like a big semi-truck garage and they had all these you know, trucks and big, huge warehouse-sized garages. And so we just took a bunch of picks in there where you know, that's the ones of us in coveralls and right. stuff and all that. And so, yeah, it just kind of, you know, it just kind of, you know, went from there, right? Like, I just, uh, sorry, what was the question? The, like, the document, just the, the oh. how did that kind of get Yeah, so they were, like, it was kind of cool in the way, because they were friends of ours, right? And, I mean, even though we didn't know everybody on the crew, but Trevor and John, the, uh, John Kerr and Trevor uh, Smith were the guys we'd known for years, right? And so it was kind of like having friends hanging around all the time, and they weren't intrusive with the cameras, and, you know, it was, it, after a little while, you didn't even notice they were there, so that was really cool. I mean, I'm... I'm kind of conscious of that but you know i also told them you know i knew how to get rid of them i would just start talking about certain things that they didn't want to hear and immediately <laughs> all of a sudden the cameras go away and you, you knew your mic was turned off right and so and I, I warned them too like when we go to vancouver like don't film me with certain people like i have to get permission or i have to tell you it's okay to film in front of certain people because they don't go for that because of who they are right and so they cooperated with all of it and in the end you know like i mean again they had 350 hours plus footage and they whittled it down to an hour and 40 or whatever and i think they did a great job but you know at the same time it was pretty eye-opening for me like seeing some of the stuff that corby had to say and doug had to say that you know they would never tell me personally but for some reason it came out in the movie yeah it just i guess it just cemented things for me i mean you know tour is done now and you know, I'm still trying to get rid of the last of the merch, and that's fun to me because I'm still interacting with the fans. And I always keep the Facebook page up, and now i got the keys to the website, so I don't know if I can get a web designer to help me. Maybe I'll do something with that. But I'm going to post some of the music on YouTube and, and you know, try to get it out to the rest of the world and see if whatever, you know. I mean, it's not like we're getting back together, but, you know, I'm, I'm still proud of what we did, I guess, and I'm still going to promote the band no matter what. You know what I mean? How's that merch stuff going? Because, like, you know, I was at that the first sale, and we did pretty good, and then... Kind of, you've done a few more just on my stuff. Yeah, like, I mean, it, it was kind of like the first one we did great. Second one we did about half of what we did the first one. And then the first online sale we did really good because, you know, a lot of people were, were kind of, you know, kind of pissed at me, kind of a little bit upset that I didn't uh, announce that I was going to do an online sale. But I knew I was going to have to. So when I did, people were so happy. And, I mean, my phone just lit up. And, you know, I was spending every spare minute I could get away with at work, sneaking in, writing orders down. And then, you know, spending like eight-hour days in the beginning packing, you know, orders and my days off, you know. But, I mean, again, it's small stuff, so it's fun to me, right? Like, I mean, anything small is related, unless it's dealing with business with those guys. Like, you know, that's when we butted heads all the time. We're in songwriting, too. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of hard arguments there, that's for sure. A lot of tears and hurt feelings. But, yeah, I mean, you know, just like I say, dealing with that. And then, you know, like, 
the way the documentary came together, you know what I mean? Again, it was just like kind of having your friends hang out and film you. And again, they were so non-intrusive and everything. It was it was great. Like, I mean, I'm really happy with the way it came out. And again, we had no say. Like, I don't think a lot of people know that because I always ask people, I'm like, did you like the movie? And I don't want people thinking I got a big ego because, you know, like, I mean, I always have to remind them, like, we didn't do this. This was other people. Like, this has nothing to do with me. Like, you know, I didn't make this movie. I'm just in it. You know what I mean? And I think they did a great job. And they asked me, you know, like they were candid with me if they wanted, if I wanted to talk about certain things. And I told them I did because, you know, I wanted people to know the true story about why I went to jail and what had happened, you know, because I'm sure the rumors were flying, you know what I mean? And so, you know, the people at least have watched the movie, now they know the truth, you know what I mean? But uh, a lot of people came out of there, you know, and they, they were had mixed reactions. I remember my one friend came out of there and she was like, I mean, she had a few drinks that night, obviously, before she came to the movie, but she came out and she was like in tears, like almost in hysterics. And she came up to me and she's like, Terry, I can't believe that they portrayed you like that. Like they made you look like, you know, such a bad alcoholic and, you know, all this and that. And, you know, like that's, you know, and, and she couldn't even talk to me. And she just walked away. And I've, I've barely seen her since then. Just, you know, a girl from around town that was a fan forever. And I've known her since the old days. And, you know, but then, you know, some people just had a totally different reaction. They wouldn't see it the same way. It was just neat. You know, like that was the best part, actually, getting to go to the, all the premieres and getting to see all the different reactions. I mean, after the first few showings, I'd watch the crowd more than I'd watch the movie, right? And it was just really cool, you know, again, another way to interact with the fans, which I've always liked doing, you know, I mean, I'm not an egotistical person, and we were anti-egos always, you know, like, if anybody had an ego, it got knocked down pretty hard and fast, right, so, I mean, we don't like that stuff, and so, I, you know, I definitely don't want to people think, thinking that I'm that way or whatever. So, I mean, I've always loved talking to the fans and hanging out with them and, you know, hearing the stories, even though, you know, after they're telling you over and over how great you are, you know, and you're saying thank you for the 10th time and you don't know what to say after that. It gets kind of weird sometimes. But, I mean, they love us, and I understand that. I mean, I grew up, I you know, everything I could find out about the bands that I grew up listening to, I you know, I wanted to hear it, you know, interviews, backstage stuff, you know, like you could hear a little bit of noise before the song started on the recording, and that was cool, you know what I mean? Like, you know, now kids got everything with the internet back then we had nothing you know what I mean but you know it was just like I can understand why people are the way they are about it I mean it's amazing that we touch so many people's lives and, and how deeply we did like you know people say oh yeah you're my favorite band alongside this band this band this band and they're like big names massive bands they're still touring today and I mean it's just still strange for me hearing our name in with them but I mean to our fans we are just as good as any of those bands you know what I mean and that's really hard for me to grasp because I mean I can't even really listen to our own music because well, I'm not sick of it anymore, but when we were actually playing, we rehearsed it so much and wrote for so long. That's why I only released four albums in 12 years or 11 years because it was just the worst writing process ever. And by the time we'd have the songs recorded, I'd be so tired of them, I wouldn't even want to play them live. You know what I mean? And playing them live was just like, you know, second nature. I could play them in my sleep because we were either rehearsing so much or we were on the road playing every night because we played everywhere. So... Yeah, it was it was crazy, but you know, I mean, like I say, the tour and the and the in the movie and everything, the way it turned out, I, I was really happy with it. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, it's sad in a way because it's a little bittersweet because it's the end. You know, like now I know for sure it's the end after a few comments from a couple of the guys in the band. I don't have to name names. Everybody, I'm sure who's seen the movie knows what I'm talking about. But I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna bug them anymore about this. It's done. You know, it's over. It sucks. You know, I mean, I don't understand why. You know, they don't want to take another month or two out of their schedule because, I mean, you know, even if it's just for money, even if they're just greedy, I mean, we made a killing financially, you know, but I mean, to me, it's about getting back out there and playing. I mean, the fans are still hitting me up for more shows and people are offering us all kinds of festivals for this year or next year already. You know, like we do this festival here, we'd pay you really good. And I'm, I have to say, look, I'm sorry. I mean, you can contact Corby and Doug, but I'm, uh, I tell you right now, they're going to say no. So 
I mean, like I say, I give up. Bummer, <laughs> bummer. What were so you kind of mentioned like like you uh, you know the songwriting process a little bit and just like uh, you know you could play them all in in your sleep. Do you have any? <laughs> well, you were kind of like, oh, do you have any favorite songs to play? Oh uh, yeah, that was really hard. Um, what did I write down here? Well, I mean. Like some of the ones that were hard to play, I liked, but you know, like some of them seemed easy, but they were hard to really good make come off live, right? Like Fistful of Powder was the first one that came to mind because I couldn't even play the double kick parts in that song on the reunion tour because my chops just weren't up there. I wasn't, I can't, I couldn't play that fast anymore. And of course, the tempos jump up about you know when the adrenaline's flowing live, right? So you know, I put Fistful down as one of them. But, you know, I also loved playing that song because it was a heavier tune. And, you know, I mean, I've always been into a heavier side of music, right? Like, I mean, I still like, you know, like go see Napalm Death and Grindcore bands and stuff all the time, right? And I've always loved that stuff, but I've also listened to everything, right? So, I mean, I do love songs like, you know, like, um, you know, like Easter. You know, it's still rock, you know, like rock and roll metal kind of song. But, you know, that one, that was one of the ones that's fairly straightforward as far as playing, at least for me. But to keep the tempos in check and to keep everyone reeled in especially when i was doing the tour sober and dealing with those guys it was like oh man like you guys are like speeding right up i'm like no you know like literally pulling in the reins or pushing them in certain parts and you know especially the tours like i did a few tours back in the smalls days when i was sober too for the whole tour and like those guys don't notice it like you know one because they're drinking every night just you know not as much but uh, you know like having a few beers before the show and drinking a little bit on stage and this they didn't see it you know when i was totally sober i did so it was like driving a runaway train some nights and just trying to keep those guys in check, right? But it was fun. I mean, like, me and Corby had lots of chance to rehearse with me and him just by ourselves, which really tightened us up. And I found that I had to go back and actually listen to all the music because I hadn't, and you know, since I played, to even learn the songs again to play them, you know, and, you know, whatever. But, I mean, I think the, you know, the, the touring stuff was great and the movie, the way they depicted it all. And, I mean, it would have been cool to have some more live stuff in there, but we shot the last two Edmonton shows in, you know, a full HD video. We brought in extra cameras and, you know, high-quality audio. So, I, we, I guess the plan was if we wanted to, we could release the footage. Because you know, we had footage from the farewell tour that got destroyed because it was all shot on film and whoever stored it, it all got destroyed, like the audio and video from the film. So we were really bummed about that because that was one of the ideas was we were going to release that on a DVD and then tour on it as a 10th anniversary or whatever. So now I'm kind of concerned because these guys just don't seem to care. So we're, you know, it doesn't, there's no plans at all to make any more vinyl. And, you know, vinyl is expensive. Even if I take some of the money I make off the sale here, I don't know if I can afford to make much or any. I mean, I still have a little bit left over, but, you know, I'm kind of hoarding that for myself and a few friends and stuff like that. But, you know, like, I mean, CDs, they're going by the wayside. You know, they're like becoming like the cassette now. It's, you know, I've, we've lived through the, I, I lived through the eight track, the cassette, the LP, the CD, and now we're back to the LP again, you know? And I mean, so I'm not too concerned about that, but, you know, we're making much less money off the downloads or off of Spotify and the, the streaming services and stuff. And it's kind of a drag, you know what I mean? That artists are getting paid less. But yeah, I mean, I just don't see much future anymore in it. And even like, you know, like it, it's, you know, I keep telling the fans, keep the music alive. Like, share it, burn discs for people, you know, give them CDs, whatever you got to do, pass the music around because, you know, I don't even know what these guys are going to do. As far as I know, we don't even have any distribution right now. So, I mean, if we don't have any distro, well, nobody can get our albums. So, you know what I mean? Like, and I mean, you know, we had a thousand of each for the tour 
And I mean, you've seen how many we had left over for the first two sales. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I got rid of most of them now. Oh, that's good. And even that gigantic box of beer cozies, koozies we had, I got rid of all of those. Like, <laughs> I really? just completely that was a sold. Big box, man. <laughs> man, there was I couldn't even count how many was in there. But I don't know. People just loved them. That first online sale I did, I sold right out of them all. Oh, really? Good yeah. for you. That's great. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm actually sold quite a bit. And the fans are so grateful and so happy about it. Like, you know, like they're like, we know you're doing this all yourself, Terry. We know this is your page, and you know, take your time and don't stress out or if i screw up an order they'll be like oh don't worry about it you know and i always send them something extra you know and send them what they what, what i missed or whatever you know what i mean and, and so that's been fun too but again you know it's just like i say that's what's made my life a total roller coaster and that's what you know it's been a trigger for me too you know going back to the substance abuse you know you know the high highs and the low lows you know they're not good for an addict you know what i mean and so it has made my life better and in many many ways but it's also made it tougher too you know like i mean when i came off that tour like i say it was like going right back down into the you know the down part of downside of things for a while and it was like that for a month or two afterwards till I pulled out of it and then it was just back to the grind and I stopped worrying about it and then I was like you know finally got the merch from Corby and then it was the sales and then you know but now once this is done then what you know then the roller coaster rides over I don't know, I don't know, know we'll see life yeah like for it brings you um I want to know the answer to this one is there a favorite small show from back in the day well, I, mean, I was thinking about that. I mean, the Edmonton shows were always great because it was the Edmonton fans were always so cool. And, you know, I mean, that's where we came up. So you always knew everybody and we always had her friends opening. But i got to say the riot in Kamloops stands out. I mean, we made every paper across the country, like every newspaper. And, I mean, that was just nuts. Like, it was just unbelievable watching those kids smash the cop cars, like chasing the cops away by throwing beer bottles and rocks at them. And then I was out back afterwards and all of a sudden I hear the dogs and I hear people running and screaming and I realized, you know, the cops have got the upper hand and uh, now the people that were throwing the rocks are running away and they arrested all these, you know, people and it was just mayhem. And so that was a big one. And But I think, you know, one of the biggest ones that I remember is we were supposed to play with SNFU in Kamloops and they were coming from Van and we were coming from Edmonton and they hit an avalanche. So they got snowed in and they were doing everything they could, but, you know, it got close to, you know, being the end of sound check and they weren't making it. So... The promoter, when people started coming in, he basically got up and announced. He said, "Look, you know, SNFU ain't gonna make it. So what I can do here is I'll, I'll, I'll you know, I'll give you guys a deal if you want. I'll give you either money off your tickets or I'll refund your ticket, and and you don't have to, you know, you don't have to stay for the show, but we're gonna let the smalls headline. So it's up to you if you want to just pay. And I think most people just paid, and it was one of the first times we played to a pretty big audience, you know, like a sold-out crowd, right? And it was just lucky in our favor, not lucky for us and a few, but lucky <laughs> for us. And, I mean, they helped us out tons, right? Like, I said, a few, those guys are all great, you know? Like, they, you know, they were just barely still together when we started, but, you know what I mean? Like, even with the Wheat Chiefs, when they were doing that, we played with them. I mean, they're always good guys, and, you know, you can see the things Chai says in the movie about how we stole all their ideas about touring and stuff. Well, we did, you know? And, I mean, you know, like, we <laughs> We learned a lot from them but yeah i don't know i mean uh i lost i lost my train of thought that's uh, that's good so that the, the camel what what happened at the that one well the what happened show? was is we were we were playing and we'd oversold the hall as always we always oversold halls you know nobody cared about that back then <laughs> who shows up with the cops and the fire marshals and apparently Calypso is like one of the places they send you right after you start finish your training in regina they send a lot of cops there to you know it's a medium-sized city so they get a little taste of everything but yeah, they just came up on stage instead of going back and talking to the promoter and having him come up and shut the show down. They came up on stage and tried to like literally turn off our in 
instruments, not knowing how to do it, not knowing that the sound's coming out of the PA in the front of the house, you know, like, so they're literally at our amps trying to figure out how to turn, and like, Doug and Corby are like, keep playing, keep playing, so we kept playing, and then finally, you know, they started turning amps off, and then, you know, the fans started freaking out, and it was literally, like, I remember looking up, and it was like a wall of spit, and beer cans just flying at the stage so I hid behind my drums and like you know they got covered in beer and spit and you know the cops just immediately pulled out their OC spray their pepper spray and just started hosing down the front rows and the front rows at our shows back then were you know this was in all ages it was like 14 15 year old girls right up front and then the guys were in the pit right behind us who got nailed all the little 14 year old girls like and that was what we seen in the paper was a picture of them in the emergency ward you know like red eyes crying from the you know from the gas and so they did exactly what they were saying they were there to prevent was we oversold the hall and it was unsafe because we only had one fire exit. Well, what happened? They pepper sprayed the hall. So what did everybody do? Went running out of the only exit that there was. And, you know, people were nearly injured in that. Right. And then people were livid. So, like I say, once they got outside, I was standing outside smoking. And I remember seeing this guy beside me pick up a beer bottle and he looked at his friend and he just wound up and hucked it at the cop car and it smashed the windshield and that was it that was all it took everybody was running out in the street instigator and I'm, at the end i was like what happened and this one guy's like man we ran out of rocks and we had like cause they were back in the cops of four or five cruisers up this hill until we couldn't see them and then they got over the crest of the hill and then yeah all of a sudden we see all these people come running back the other way and yeah the cops eventually got a few and loaded everybody up i think every car was jam-packed with as many people they could fit in because they didn't have a paddy wagon yeah, it was crazy. People still remember that. Like, I mean, it, you know, you wear a small shirt in Kamloops, and it's after that we couldn't even play in town. We had to play the res. We played the reservation because our old, oh, wow. yeah, our old friend Eli Jules, he was in this crew called the, we, we we always called what they called themselves the Three Five Seven Posse, and uh, they were always just cool dudes, and you know, like whatever, they were just good good, good guys, and you know, Eli was. You know, it was like, fuck, come play on the res. Like, if they won't let you play in town, come play on the res. And I was like, all right, let's do it. And, you know, so those guys booked the shows. And the first one was kind of weird because, you know, like, you know, again, you know, back then, I mean, you know, I mean, there's still tension today. But racial tension, you know, there was still quite a bit of it, you know. And, and you know, but that was one of the first times that, you know, there was a lot of Native kids that came out because they were, you know, it was their place. They wanted to come down and make sure what was going on there right so a lot of them showed and at the end of the night everybody was getting along we ended up playing floor hockey till like five in the morning and <laughs> sitting on the bench passing the bottle of vodka you know with a bunch of native and white guys and just fans or you know crew or security and yeah it was always awesome because cops couldn't come out there too right only the res, res cops <laughs> right, yeah. so the cops couldn't touch us and, and then eventually we you know they allowed us to play back and we were able to play there i think i think we yeah we played Kamloops on the tour i think i don't know Anyways, but yeah, it was, that was crazy. But, you know, Edmonton, Calgary, and Vancouver, you know, I can't say enough about those three places because those were the fans that supported us, really gave us our start. And, you know, we always had excellent shows there. I mean, Mac Hall is a huge room, and we would pack it. You know, we used to play, like, you know, Starfish Room until we oversold that, and then we started playing the Commodore in Vancouver. I mean, like, to me, that was a dream. Like, I never thought we'd be, you know, playing there. And then, then you know, it was funny because we didn't even sell out. And, and it was funny that uh, the guy, the sound guy, yeah, the, the monitor guy, actually, he was like, his name's Limo, and he's been working at the Commodore forever. And he's like, yo, TJ, when I was setting up, he's like, you, you didn't sell out? both shows both nights on the farewell tour and then you come back and sell out both nights on the reunion tour he's like you hit the big time bro and i'm like yeah now that we're broke up eh? and you were laughing about it but it was true you know like i don't know what it was but there's just so many fans that came out of the woodwork and it was like a big reunion every night and whatever and but yeah especially those three cities they were always good shows there but yeah definitely those other two ones stand out in my mind but i mean a lot of it's just a blur too people come up and say hey remember when we played this show here i don't even remember playing that club <laughs> yeah. sometimes not even the town you know but 
from a certain places we only played like once or twice like medicine hat say or you know whatever where we'd play you know lethbridge all the time you know what i mean or you know certain places we played more than others but we tried to hit that market and i mean you know it was cool because that's what i would have wished for when i was a kid having my favorite bands coming through grand prairie where i grew up you know out outside of there on a farm but yeah, we never had that. I mean, we had Brian Adams and Platinum Blonde and, yeah, you know, Blonde. the 80s pop <laughs> bands coming through and playing the little arena we had. And that was my only exposure to live music back then, right? So it was really cool to be able to do that. And I wish we could have done more small towns on the tour. Like, could have made it a little bit longer. But, you know, like yeah. I say, we had time constraints and there was just only so much we could do. Yeah, some of the, if I reflect on some of the shows, I've been to a lot of shows and uh, throughout my, you know, 30 some years going to see bands and some of them are, are the small shows like i don't do you remember ever playing in uh i remember actually well we're in richie i remember seeing you at richie yeah all oh, yeah. I, like i don't know how old i was and i remember that's the time when i think corb was getting into his country stuff and it was me and my friend we walked around the block with corb and he was playing like country and now he's like this country star right <laughs> like crazy or like i remember in fort saskatchewan my friend brought you you guys out to fort saskatchewan yeah and you played with vocal resistance at the lead, like the Legion of all places. Yeah. I remember that. I remember you guys playing at a church one time. I'm like, I'm at the church, you know, like this punk show, like people jumping off the pews. It was this a madness. And then the old, that old warehouse, um, you yeah. had a few shows there. And, and well, we that, just, did, yeah, we did like a skate park where you'd go sneak in and go skateboarding. In. And now it's like lofts, like right across from. Yeah, well, when we moved the in new, there, that was actually our rehearsal space on the, oh, on the middle floor. And then the main floor was whatever. And then the top floor, these, the guys who owned it ran it. And they were these two Asian gangsters, like obviously triad members. Like when I first <laughs> moved to Edmonton, I lived underneath an Asian Coke dealer. And, and he was like part of the triads. He was down, fully connected, right? And so these guys had no clue. Like we were like, hey, uh, so how much do you charge us to rent this whole room for one or for two nights? We just want to have like a rock show. And they're like, what do you mean a rock show? We'll, we'll have some bands, have some, you know, music and some, bring a bunch of people up. And they're like, yeah, we don't care. Sure. And yeah, it was just mayhem. Like that was the first time we'd ever did shows on our own. And I remember we couldn't believe how much money we made. Like, cause we'd never <laughs> made that kind of money at any Honestly. show because we cleared everything, yeah. right? Like we paid for security. We paid for the beer for the band or the bar night. And yeah, it was mayhem. I remember the first night, I think we did the all ages first and then the bar the second night or yeah, it must have been because we didn't want to be hung over. <laughs> and so, but I, you know, of course, was drinking after the show with my friends. And I remember because the doors didn't even lock. So I had to literally sleep on the stage. Like, you know, I stayed up till six in the morning drinking with my friends and stuff. But I slept on the stage with my bottle and a baseball bat because there was nobody there to watch the gear. You know, like we didn't have anybody. We couldn't make sure that the place was locked. So I just stayed there till somebody showed up again the next day. And then I went home and slept through sound check and got back up, back up in time to play the set and start drinking again. But yeah, those were crazy. Like, I mean, we had to stop the show because people were literally ripping the light fixtures, yeah, the I remember fluorescent that. light fixtures out of the ceiling. And like, it was like just mayhem. And actually, um, Duke of Medulla, or maybe they were Bloody Worm then, uh, one of their guys had footage of the whole show. I've got the whole show on VHS that he converted to di digital. But it's all, of course, because, you know, most of our shows, especially he was in the opening band, he was all shot from Doug's side of the stage. Yeah. So you can really only see Doug and Mike and a little bit of me and sometimes Corby every once in a while. But the, the sound is surprisingly actually okay. So that's another thing I'm thinking of doing, like I say, with the YouTube page is I want to get all the old videos. Like I, I don't even know if anybody has a copy of all of them still, like the actual music videos we made. Because yeah. we made like four or five and then the fans made one for Dan Lana and 
and you know, I want to put those all up and you know, anything I can find, like stuff like That'd that. That'd be a cool project. I'd be like really interested in like helping you out do that somehow. Yeah, like, man. Like, uh, it, I think I said there is a like one video on on YouTube from that show actually. Yeah. I may wonder if it's from the same. It's like I think it's you guys playing Neural Devla or something. But I re- like yeah, vividly remember people like ripping those things <laughs> down. I was like, yeah. this is crazy. Like. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was it was definitely fun. Yeah. Here, la- we'll we'll end with the last question here, Terry. Sure. Um, any any words of wisdom to to the rad dads listening to this? Well, I don't know. I think you know the ones that I've met are definitely. I think they're on the right track. You know, like we all kind of come from the same place in some ways, and you know, like we have a lot of the same interests, and we we got involved in this for the same reason. You know, like. I mean, even though I, like I say, it's really tough for me to make it to a lot of events, you know, I try to get out when I can and it's important to me and, you know, I wear my shirt proudly and I don't know. I mean, the only advice I have is keep doing what you're doing. Like, you know, like the dads that I've met are great dads and you know what I mean? Like, you know, like we don't have to make the mistakes that our parents made, you know, we can do whatever we want. You know, we're, we're the leaders for our children. Like we're the, you know, they look up to us. We, we, we can, you know, kind of guide them to do, you know, like not whatever we want them to do, but you know, hopefully something positive, you know, and whatever that may be, you know, as long as we're teaching them positivity and, and keeping that, you know, you know, the PMA as our old friend, John Joseph would say, I had him uh, at my school last week. I know, I've seen that. That's two wicked, two man. I heard he was coming into town, and I was hoping that you would get in on that. I was so glad you did. But, yeah, he's a cool guy. I, mean, I just talked to him for a few minutes when we played with him. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, like, I mean, I'm not, I don't have that positive mental attitude definitely all the time. But I think, you know, that's one of the things that, you know, like when, I'm with my, when I was with my son, I couldn't help it. You know, I mean, I had a smile on my face all the time. And, you know, again, I don't know what it was, but, you know, I just tried to be the best dad I could. And it turned out he was the best kid I could have ever had. I mean, I never had to get mad at him I never had to hardly yell at him and as he got older it just it's like he got better and better you know but you know like I say he's changed a lot now and we'll see what happens but I mean I think you know like I say most of the dads I've met they're totally on the right track and I think that this is a great thing that you've set up here Christian because I mean again it gives us a chance to all get together and do all these kinds of things that maybe we would have thought of if you know on our own but some of it you know it's much better in a group setting and you know what I mean like it's like all the events it sounds like it went off great you know and I've missed a lot of them because of work and you know but yeah I mean it's just it's a really great outlet I think for all of us and I think that you know it it helps all of us too I mean you know we sit around and talk about our kids too a bit and you know everybody you know probably shares some insight and info and how we dealt with this situation or that one and I mean you know whatever but I mean yeah I think like I say I think it's a great thing and I think that the more people that get involved in things like this it makes you a better person it makes you a better father right and I mean again we're leaders we're you know like you know the mothers can be too but you know and what doesn't matter if you have a son or a daughter you know what I mean like they can still look up to you and they do you know and I mean they look up to you for guidance and for they want structure and they want you know to learn and and but at the same time you know you got to have some fun and we don't have to do what our parents taught us for fun you know like we can do whatever we want within reason you know and so yeah I guess my advice is keep doing what you're doing keep making sure your kids are having fun and whatever they're doing because that's you know when they'll start loving learning new things you know and just keep trying to you know slowly ease them into different things if they're not too sure about it you know test let them test the waters a little bit if they don't like it they don't like it but you know what i mean like take them out to a rock show if you can take them to see a band or you know take them to a hockey game. do whatever you can do just spend time with your kids and try to be there to mentor them i mean that's the most important thing i think for any father whether you're 
you know, a single father in a happy marriage or whatever. I mean, you still have a role as a dad and it's so important to, to do the right thing. And, and, you know, I mean, it's not just because you're a male. I mean, like, again, women still have the same power too. I think it's just slightly different the way we approach it because men and women are inherently different. Right. But I mean, again, we we're leaders and, and I think that, you know, we can do a lot of great things for our kids. If we are good, we lead by example, we are good examples for them. And we try to teach them that, you know, even making mistakes isn't a bad thing because we can learn from that if we want, you know what I mean? So screwing up ain't such a bad thing. You know, you're allowed to do it and then we'll learn from it. You know, I don't know. Right. Lear learning from our mistakes. That's kind of a theme that, uh, that you had throughout this. So I just want to say thanks so much, Terry, for giving up your time. Thanks for being here. And, um, hope to see you at uh, some some events. Yeah, I hope to get out to the next one for sure. But yeah, thank you, Christian, so much for all of this. Thank you for getting me involved in all of this in the beginning, and you know, for everything that's you know, like you've become become a, a kind of a good friend over the years now, and it's 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 awesome, you know. And I mean, I'll try to make it out to the next one as long as I'm not working. <laughs> but yeah, 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 it's just works a killer these days. I wish I could get out to more events, and that's another thing I want to say to the rest of the rad dads. Hopefully, I'll see y'all soon because I miss y'all and I miss the events. So I want to get out soon. But yeah, thanks a lot for this, Christian. It means a lot getting to be able to sit down and talk about it. And hopefully I didn't ramble too much. All good, Terry. Thank you. Right on.